Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi and welcome to episode 68 of the Restless Midlifer podcast. And this is uh, in the new format, another interview. And it's the return of one of my favourite guests, Pete Matthew. Pete is the CEO of Jackson Wealth, financial advisor and the host of the awesome Meaningful Money podcast. And it's really worth probably checking out the previous two episodes that uh, Pete and I, um, uh, that Pete appears on, because we build up. And in the first episode, we look at getting to grips with our midlife finances. Second episode, more diving into things like um, investment, pensions, that kind of thing. And this one, uh, the the three Pete, as as Pete (laughs) called it, the third appearance of Pete, we, we really tap into the current climate and how, as a midlifer who may be making some decisions, maybe may have set about um, working on getting our finances in check, paying down debt, uh, making some key decisions perhaps about the the hours we work, um, whether early retirement might be on the cost, those kinds of things. Um, those decisions uh, and following our goals can be quite challenging uh, at any time, but particularly when we feel as if we're in a climate, and at time of recording, this is July 2022, there is such a lot going on in the world and talk of recession, uh, inflation, um, you know, all sorts of things, cost of living, electric gas, petrol, that kind of thing. So it's a really timely one and some great, great thoughts from Peter around that. So I'll, I'll let the interview take care of that itself. Um, certainly really worth listening into. Before I do, quick update, because I did say last week, I give you an update on my operation, D-Move, and a couple of quick, so it's worth checking that out if you missed that. Uh, particularly the interview that follows with Elaine Hudson, a former client of mine. Brilliant, inspirational um, interview. This the, last week, I talked about the 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 bumps in the road, I guess, with Operation D Move and how I'm getting back on track. And I'll talk about that a little bit more and keep you updates over the coming weeks. But one of the things I did highlight were two questions that I think are really useful as reflective questions when we're trying to sort of get the grips of what's going wrong here, rather than falling into that old stories of beating ourselves up and telling ourselves we're useless or just getting crueler and harder on ourselves. And those two questions were, uh, well, I'll put the second one first because I talked about that last week. Is What could this be the symptom of? So I talked about that last week. If perhaps you, you've kind of lost your mojo, you feel like things are just unraveling, you're just not getting into the groove with things or being as compliant on cert- on your plans, etc., then that question of what could this be a symptom of could be a great way to divert you away from the, the not doing it into what may be some of the underlying issues or challenges. And, and I explained what mine were and what my reflections were last week. I think that could be really useful. The first question that I asked, which I'm developing today, is what what is it about the framing and the framework of the habits, rituals, and routines that I'm trying to maintain or embed or introduce that needs perhaps tweaking? Because one of the things that I think is really challenging is when we're introducing new habits and then trying to stick to them, because because compliance really execution sweating the sprouts daily daily sweating the sprouts that we've chosen the sprout sized habits doing that daily is actually the the best way to achieve any particular goal um but the challenge is when we're introducing a number of them or maintaining them sometimes we don't get quite right we don't plug it in quite right into a particular time of day um or it doesn't hook into a a pre-existing well embedded habit enough it just jars or doesn't work and that's really worth exploring. So thinking about the things that you struggle with, whether it's, you know, it might be getting out for that walk, it might be doing that meditation, it might be sticking to some sort of attending the gym or doing some fitness at home or um, 
cooking a, an evening meal or you know time restrictive eating what, whatever whatever the habits are look at what it is that it fits into in terms of the architecture of your day. I'll give you an example for mine. My 60 till I'm 60 commitment, the burpees that I do, the burpees that I do every day um, till I'm turned 60. So I took, I've committed two years ago, New Year's Day, hungover to doing 60 burpees a day every day until I turn 60. You can check out previous episodes from that uh, to find out more about that madness. There, were, there was some logic and reason <laughs> behind that. But what I found is that it had become patchy. And even as I started to track, I had a good first three months of 2022, 100% compliance, but then things changed and drifted. And partly that was due to my reflections on, well, what is it a symptom of? So check out last week's episode if you want to sort of get my thoughts on that. But it was also because that particular habit, the 60 burpees a day, had become almost dependent, pretty dependent on the context and the location of where I carried them out. So my typical routine would be I'd drop Rosie off at school when she was at school, and there's it in lies probably the challenge and the issue is I would go straight around to the CrossFit gym and before the class started at 9.30, I'd knock off my 60 burpees over a period with some stretching and, and that kind of thing. And it became the thing I did. You know, people in the gym knew, know what I'm doing, encourage me, um, you know, that kind of thing. But the smell of the gym, the floor, the, the picking up the band, the putting my bag down, all triggered me to just get on and do them. Now, you can probably see there straight away, very strong habit in the location and the context of where I was and what I was doing at that time. So it worked. But what about Saturday, Sunday? What about the days and times when Rosie wasn't at school, half term, that kind of thing? That's where it struggled. Now, yeah, okay, I managed to hit or missy, but that's where the problem was. And that, I think, can be the problem with some habits. It can be really useful in getting going, but how do you keep going? If the context, the location is patchy, if you're not there every day, if it's not something you do every day. And this is a challenge I have when I coach people around sleep, particularly if you're a shift worker, because you're not going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time. That's another, that's a story for another day, I guess. But so what I've done is I've introduced my own new habit, which touch wood at the moment seems to be starting to, to embed nicely. And I find now that what I do is I, I put it right at the beginning of my day. I've always wanted to be, get it into the habit of just getting up rather than the snooze on the, at 6.30, the alarm snoozes and snoozes. And I grab those extra few minutes because I know there's no value. Um, and what I would typically do is get up, go down, make a coffee, come up and potter about. But what I realized was there's an opportunity there. Get up, that's one routine and ritual I do. Make the coffee, that's another. Could I put in between um, the routine of the burpees? And what I introduced, and this might sound a bit silly, but it just seems to work, is I, I now get up at 6.30, go down straight into the garage on my bike, which is on a turbo trainer, and I do 30 minutes on the bike. Very easy cycle, and it's meant to wake me up. It's not meant to be a workout. But what I do is I cycle for five minutes and then I'll do 12 burpees. Another five minutes, then 12 burpees. And within half an hour, I've done the 60 burpees. I'm nicely warm. I'm walking up and my, you know, I'm breathing a little bit heavier and I haven't done anything overly strenuous. And then I go on and get on with the coffee. So here's where I have taken the, the habit and put it in between two things that happen every day the getting up at 6.30 and the making of the coffee and put it in there in a way that's quite novel because novelty around that, the novelty of getting on the bike, it's wearing thin now, but um, the habit is now embedded. But at the time, it was something new and different, and I feel I felt like it was really valuable. So have a think about the routines and the architecture, the structures around your habits to see whether there's any tweaking or changes that could be done there.
Um, so that's my food for thought today. Um, we're on with the interview with Pete. Again, just um, Pete's take on where we are. The um, the overall theme is don't panic, just like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy front of the, the, the first words is don't panic. I think it's easy said than done, but I also think it's important to do that. And we explore this a lot. How can we practically make decisions with the things we can control versus the things we can't in these challenging times and still move in the direction of the goals that we want to work towards. So I hope you enjoy it. Give me some feedback at Dave at restlessmidlife.com and take care for now. Well, welcome back to, uh, I think you might even qualify as co-host now, Pete, on the <laughs> Restless Midlife podcast. It's great <laughs> to have you back. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, mate. Thank you. Yeah, good to be back. This uh, I've already called on somebody else's podcast when somebody comes past, comes on the show for the third time. They call it a three-peat. Just, three like which which we should probably promptly forget because it's uh, hideous but yeah there we go i'm a three-peat guest <clears throat> great to be yeah. here mate thank you for having me great. yeah well it, it's great to catch up um and as well as having great conversations it's a chance um to sort of tap into the times that, that we find ourselves in because things you know things feel a little bit different you know in terms of the mood of the country and and the way things are so i thought i'd tap into that um just to sort of pick your brains from that aspect, you know, things like the the, the increases in prices, the utilities, yeah, yeah. you know, the the potential for recession, those kinds of things, are, they're, they're, they're kind of buzzing mm-hmm. around, aren't they, a lot? Yeah. Um, so it's just a tap into that, but also yeah. just catch up, have a, have a bit crack. I think um, the, the first two podcasts have been really well received and right. because of your approach and your style really down to earth and, and really makes sense, you know, so it's really great to, to, to sort of tap into that. So, great. Well, thank you to everybody that's, that's listened. I'm, uh, I'm glad it's coming over. All right. <laughs> yeah. Great. And yes, and hopefully you picked up a few listeners <laughs> for, for the meaningful for money as we go. Um, so yeah, uh, great. Um, I, I guess the first podcast we talked about how do we start to get sh- in shape with the finances? You know, you, you you are perhaps thinking about some decisions about you know reducing hours, leaving a job, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. How what do we need to think about for the business for sorry for the financial side the basics and then the second one was building on that really looking at things like investing and and things I didn't know about in relation to pension types and and what have you which was really useful so no doubt we'll sort of cover and and hark back to those but it will be worth sure. listening to those episodes listeners if you haven't checked them out uh, as yet I will put the details and the links in the in the show notes so I guess really. It feels like, although it hasn't been that long since we spoke on that podcast, it feels like such a lot has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like a, a build-up of that feeling of anticipation or you know, this this frustration over cost of petrol increasing, gas utility, you know, the electric bills uh, rising, cost of food. There's mm-hmm. a feeling about that. And then people talking about this this recession or is there a recession coming type of thing. So yeah. I, I don't know, any particular thoughts or sort of what you've picked up in your world and then we'll dig in a little bit into it. Yeah. Um, in my world, I tend to deal with pretty wealthy people, right? Mm-hmm. For whom uh, recession is a largely abstract thought, particularly if they're retired because they haven't got a job they, could, they might lose, yeah. right? So, you know, that's one thing where yeah, times like this uh, with sort of relentless negativity, and not without good reason, right? It's it's not easy at the, at the minute at all. There's lots of things going on, which we'll get into. But um, I tend to get queries about what stock markets are doing, what investments are doing, all right? So that's one part of it. But for a lot of people, the sharp end of where they're suffering at the minute is in the cost of living, right? And that is probably the factor, right? There's other stuff going on, clearly. But, you know, we've got 
Putin's aggression in Ukraine and uh, supply chain issues. So goods not moving around the world as easily, not least because of rising uh, fuel costs. You know, it costs an awful lot more to send a ship around the planet now than it did mm. a year and a half ago or whatever. So, you know, all that kind of feeds in. So you're, you're kind of overall thing on, on top of all of that is inflation. Inflation, of course, is simply rising prices. Or to put it another way, your pound buys you less now than it did a year ago. So I think we need to understand what what inflation is. So that, that's the sort of definition. Stuff gets more expensive. And generally speaking, you want some inflation, right? Because that's the, a, a sort of sign of a healthy economy. But what you don't want is runaway inflation. We all, you know, those of us of a certain age, and, and even my kids learned about like uh, interwar Germany and you know that's called hyperinflation where you know by the time you take your biscuit tin full of Deutschmarks from your house to the baker you know they've lost half the value and it costs like a trillion marks to buy a loaf of bread or something clearly we're not in that stage and we're not going to get to that stage right but inflation when it's too hot when prices are rising too fast and where prices rise in excess of how much people's wages are rising, that's when we have a problem. Now, you want some inflation, but not too much, right? But the problem is that ordinary people can't do a damn thing about inflation. It's not something we can uh, impact at all. All we can do is uh, react to it and look at what we can do uh, practically. So, this is going to be probably fairly sprawling, wide-ranging conversation, Dave, all right? So I'm sort of formulating thoughts as we go. But for most people, it's it's in the pocket, right? It's in the wallet or the purse that, that they're really hurting right now. And depending on how you earn a living, you know, if you're self-employed, you may be able to take on more work. You may be able to work more hours to earn more income to cope with the cost of living. You may not. But if you're working in the public sector and you're getting, you know, a pay rise of one, two percent, if you're lucky, that's a long way below what prices are rising at currently. One thing I think I want to mention fairly early on is that we need to treat inflammatory headlines with the respect they don't deserve, right? <laughs> because remember, news outlets are only there to to get eyeballs and so they're far more likely to talk about you know eye-watering inflation than they are to give the reasons why it's the case in a kind of measured way so very simply the headline figure that's going around right now as we uh, record this is about nine percent inflation is running at nine percent what does that even mean well inflation is measured by a government set basket of goods, which is deemed to be sort of representative of the sort of stuff Brits spend money on. Everything from package holidays to getting a will written to your iPad to Netflix subscriptions or whatever. And that changes based on the sort of stuff we're spending money on, right? So Netflix subscription was not in the basket of goods 10 years ago. <laughs> it wasn't a thing probably. So you know, that sort of basket of goods, the prices of those things are measured every month and compared with the same stuff a year ago. 
basically. And the difference in prices are inflation figure. So the one that matters is CPI, consumer price inflation. And that's the one that gets quoted uh, most of the time. And right now that's running at 9%, which means that that basket of goods is 9% more expensive than it was a year ago. Now that's big, right? We haven't seen a number like that for 40 years. Well, I'm 47, right? So we're talking back to the early 80s that we haven't seen inflation figures like this. But if you think about it, if inflation is the difference in prices from a year ago to today, well, in a year's time, the starting point is today, right? So those of you that are watching this, are you recording a video on this or not? Are we just it's recording a other? video, but I'm... I'm this will be a podcast, video. so I need not to wave my hands around it too may much. may well be on YouTube at some point. <laughs> right. Feel free to use your hands. <laughs> I'm waving my hands, but this means nothing to you if you're you know, currently listening to this uh, on your iPhone. So... Um, if you think if it, if it, if it's the change in prices over the course of the year from a year ago to today, well, next year's inflation figure will take today as a starting point, and so we have to think: is inflation likely to still be rising at nine percent next year? And pretty much every economist thinks not. So inflation will fall. So the scary headline figures are expected to fall by early middle next year, right? But they will fall probably to a rate which is higher than we've known over the past 40 odd years. So the Bank of England target is 2% inflation. That's a kind of healthy number. Most central banks around the world use that as their target. It'll, it'll settle probably a bit higher than that, but shouldn't be catastrophically high, right? So the problem with any pain, right, is that you can kind of get used to it. Now, I don't want to be flippant here because I know a lot of people are hurting and I know it's difficult, right? But very often, it, you can get used to discomfort. doesn't mean you want to, but all, what you do is you try and make that discomfort as, as, as manageable as possible for you. So in practical terms, what this means is we have to go right back to basics, right? If our costs are now higher than they were, what gets squeezed is your discretionary spending, right? If you've got to pay your mortgage, which you have, and if you've got to pay your electric and gas bill, which you have, you start to look at what don't you have to spend money on. Now, if your minimum monthly get by expenses, literally just to eat, keep the lights on, is more than is coming in, then you've got a serious problem. But that's essentially we're talking about poverty line stuff now, right? That's probably not the target of this show. But you know, if that's you, there are resources that can help you. Really need to try hard not to get into debt just to meet your day-to-day -day expenses. But, you know, that's going to be difficult for, for some people. For most of us, if I dare say that, we've got a bit of fat in our budget, right? We've got some stuff we spend money on, which we don't need to, we just want to. And so maybe for a time, we just need to rein some of that stuff back. So... For instance, I turned off our Disney Plus subscription. I mean, it's like seven, eight, nine quid a month, something like that. But we're not really using it. It's a discretionary expense. So I canceled it. Um, it's stuff like that. Maybe if you're only using your gym membership twice a week, yeah, twice a month, maybe you cancel it and go for a run instead. Or whatever, stuff you don't need to spend it on. Right? We don't need to live like monks. Don't need to start whipping ourselves, right? And, and sort of try and force ourselves to be miserable. We need to just do what we can. That's the grown-up thing to do. If circumstances are against us a little bit, stuff we can't control, we need to focus on the stuff we can control. It's a classic stoic principle, right? And so the, the main sort of the sharp end of that for most of us is our budget.
So I think inflation is the overarching story at the minute. Where it really hits the road for most people is in the wallets. And the thing we can do most about that right now is in our budget. What can we trim? Uh, where can we find a bit more rope? And remember with the budget, it's about spending less and or earning more. So can we add a bit of extra income, side hustle or something? If we can, maybe we look at that. So we, we come at it from, it's like a pincer movement from two ends, income in and uh, dropping expenses as well. So just some sort of stuff that we need to think about in these current difficult times. Yeah, yeah, and that's, uh, thanks for the explanation as well around around inflation, and also linking it to the to the headlines as well, because I think there can be that feeling, and that that can often prompt us to you know perhaps f- feel more neg- you know it is challenging, but feel more negative and catastro- cat- catastrophize it more than perhaps we need to, which then can lead to sort of that that more sort of extreme behaviors or panic panic type behaviors i think oh yeah uh, so if we try to just get that understanding and uh, then as you say let's look at where we can trim say you know those kind those areas i think that's that's a very pragmatic approach yeah i think it's far more useful than letting the media dictate your response yeah because it's too easy to freak out and do just knee-jerk uh overreactions then so ignore what the media saying you know your bank account right if you're getting sort of down towards zero about a little bit earlier in the month then you know it's biting Mm. that's where we all measure how we're doing right if you are having if you know maybe if you're saving into an isa or pension or ever regularly and that's starting to become a little bit more painful you know, you can dial it back for, uh, you know, six months or a year or whatever, and then revisit it. So yeah, don't let your decisions be driven by the media. I mean, that's particularly when it comes to investing, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Sorry about the bus going past my window. It's very noisy. Um, you know, if, if we let our if responses be dictated by the media, we end up just overreacting. And that's particularly with investing is very dangerous. Yeah. Now th- there's a couple of things there because, <clears throat> I can't help my head, but go to. We, I know we've had yep. conversations about the go to um, analogies, and I and I think about a similar, a way to sort of illustrate it through the the analogy to something else can be useful. But I think about in terms of you know coming to a point in life where you think I've got to lose a lot of weight, for example, there can be that emotional response where it's like all or nothing. Let's just go for it, and we we can engage in something that just isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I heard a I can't remember where I heard it, but I heard this great sort of. Um, approach or way of looking at that side of it is that we have two systems really that we can we can work at with um in terms of managing weight down and because it's the calorie balance or the energy balance energy in versus energy out money in versus money out um we can look at stressing one system to its le- limit i.e diet for example mm-hmm. or exercise mm-hmm. or we can stress each one lesser or, or use each one less system, and you don't put pressure on either system in that way, if that makes sense. And I, I yeah, kind of totally. like that because it's quite a logical way of thinking about it, although it's different actually in action. But to not stress one system to its extreme means that you've got you've got space, capacity, but also you're not pushing yourself, your emotional self in the case of diets and your physical tiredness, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. so in terms of money, it strikes me from what you're saying that it's a similar approach. If we can just park the headlines, let's get our head back to the budget. Let's look at where, you know, the, the two key ones are, where can I reduce my spending? Uh-huh. But not to an extreme that's going to snap back or cause us major problems. And where can I perhaps increase my income? Uh-huh 
but again, not burn myself out necessarily. No, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if we can kind of find those those wins in small ways, yeah, we can have that. So that really makes sense to me. As, as and, and we, for most of us, it, it's not going to be a case of finding hundreds of pounds extra a month. Probably the margins are a lot smaller than the headlines make us think, particularly if we've got discretionary income. All right, we've got you know disposable income, if you like. Um, because that's our buffer, right? Yeah, it'll be a bit crap if we have to dial down the holiday this year or skip it for a year or whatever. But you're probably not going to, you know, die as a result of that, right? It is okay. And it's the grown-up thing to do, right? You don't just keep powering through. I was reading a thing on the BBC this morning on the BBC News app. You know, it's like, I owe my mum six grand, but I can't stop spending. Well, I mean, that's compulsive behavior. That's an addiction thing. Most of us are not in that space. Most of us can say, right, actually... I need to do something here. Do it calm and measured. What can I do? Actually, I can pick up an extra shift. Maybe once a fortnight. Won't kill me, right? I can ask mom to look after the kids, right? I, I can I can do that. It'll be an extra 50 quid a month or an extra 150 quid a month. Actually, that can make a huge difference. It means I can still go on holiday. So I'll do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're not really watching Netflix. Maybe I'll dial that back. Right, or maybe I'll switch my mobile phone con- contract onto a SIM only, or something. Maybe I don't upgrade my iPhone this year, right? Mm-hmm. And dial back the contract to twenty quid a month instead of fifty. So there's always stuff we can do, and I think a measured approach. To be honest, that's like an old, overarching golden rule, particularly with finance and many other st- <laughs> many other spheres of life. Overreaction, knee jerk, fight or flight type stuff tends to be counterproductive for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, I, I'm reminded of the phrase that you used in the first podcast of lifestyle drift, you know, oh, that, yeah. um, where you just add on the Disney Plus and the this and the that. And, and you know, that's that's human nature. And perhaps now is an opportunity to just check in on our lifestyle drift. Yes. Um, and just just check that. And and also question things like our utility bill. Just for example, my utility bill's gone up consistently the last few months mm-hmm. and, and put it down to, that's oh, just the way the energy is. But then I sat and thought, that's quite, they are quite significant. So I rang them and actually they haven't been, the, the smart meter hadn't been connected up. So sometimes it is worth just questioning, isn't it? And challenging yeah. or, or saying, look, Sky, whoever, can I just knock that one off at? So I really love that approach of just let's look at where we can. And it does mount up. It's it's the sprout sweater approach for me. A few small sprouts, that you, sprout size changes can mount and, and be something quite significant yeah. there. They really can. And I guess there's two questions that really... Jump, jump out for me as, you know, potentially the restless midlifer who, you know, we've talked about somebody who wanted to make a change. Perhaps they're looking to, to free some hours up um, in order to, to develop that idea of a side hustle or, you know, reduce their hours to have more time with. Um, this is perhaps a time where you might be thinking, oh, it's the wrong time, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, again, yeah, that- that's a great question. Do you know what? I'm getting that all the time. Right. Because I spend a lot of my time at this sort of at retirement space, sort of most people come to a financial planner like me about retirement. That's their thing. And they either sort of get to their early 40s and think, well, okay, I really haven't taken this seriously up to now. What do I need to do to sort of catch up? Or mostly they're folks in their early to mid 50s and they see the, the finish line sort of coming over the horizon now. It's like, okay, right. Now I really need to decide what I need to do. But a lot of people are saying, actually, I plan to retire, you know, on January the 1st, but my pension fund is down by 
All the numbers I've based my calculations on being able to retire on are now looking a bit more sketchy. And so to that, I always say the finances need not to be the primary driver, right? They're not the only reason you're you're thinking about retiring. It's not like this financial finish line. And as long as you get over that, then you're fine because it might seem now that the finish line has been pushed a bit further back and you've got a bit further to run. Now, that is an option. I did a video recently about you know retiring in a recession. Well, not technically in a recession yet. Perhaps we'll come back to that. But yeah. And you've got other things you can do. You can dial back your expectations. Most of us feel like we want to take a big holiday when we retire or take the family away or change the car, buy a camper van. Big sort of things, almost like a reward for hitting the finish line, right? And that's entirely legitimate. But those things will still have power if we do them a year down the line. Maybe we just hold off. Or maybe... You know, we think, well, actually, um, for the first couple of years, we'll only have one holiday a year instead of two that we hoped for. Won't kill us. We'll spend a bit more time in the garden. <laughs> or the second holiday will be UK rather than abroad. Probably be more expensive if it is, actually. Um, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so th- there's always stuff. And it, it's the same things, really. But what I, I always counsel my clients is, don't be dictated by the numbers. That's a miserable existence, right? You could probably still retire. If you've got your heart set on not working again from January the 1st, you will still be able to do that. You know, unless you put all your retirement fund in Bitcoin, which would have been a monumentally stupid thing to do. But if you did, then you're probably knackered. But most people don't. They've got more conventional pensions and stuff like that. Those things are not catastrophically down. They're a bit distressed at the minute. But that is the nature of investing. Markets fall 25% of the time and rise 75% of the time on average. So we're in a 25% you know, of the time where markets are falling right now. Mm. If you've got money to invest, now's a lot better time to do it than six months ago because markets are lower. Shares and stuff are on sale, but it's still pretty hairy and it's very volatile. So you know, do you put your retirement back? Not based on the numbers, not if you can help it. You know, maybe there's some other stuff you can do. So you can still retire, still dial back your hours if that's what you're thinking of doing mm. um, and make up the difference elsewhere. There's plenty of levers we can pull, usually more than we think, yeah. which we've been talking about. You know? Yeah. I think that's such a good, that, that's a really um, good thinking, or a good way to think about it, that it's not just about, obviously you've got to look at your finance, you've got to make those rational decisions, but you are yep. also... You've got other things going on. Your heart is involved, isn't it? And and, and, and the points that I've had, having left the police twice um, <laughs> in my time, escaped once, they got me back, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but it was around the finances. And I know how heartbreaking it can be when you've got plans and what have you, and yeah. the reality hits. And in that case, I had, I probably had other choices, but I made what was probably the most pragmatic decision at the time. But I still had to deal with that emotion. And, and I think... Part of this can be we do we again it's that need that responding from emotion of like oh just forget it I'll just have to work on you know or you know I'm um, I'm just you know sod it that's you know that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do it but if we can just park the emotion a bit and have a look at it and then you know allow that emotion back in type of thing to say well yeah. you know what we can still do it. it doesn't have to be all or nothing I love that no. idea it doesn't have to be the big celebration you can still do these things yeah. um yeah. Maybe you just it, it, it's about being intentional and yeah. rather than being swayed by <laughs> I think you should listen to your heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, the longer I do my job, man, I I have some phenomenally wealthy people who are really not happy. 
because they worked, they're still working and they don't need to. Mm. And I, no matter how long I bang on at them to just quit for God's sake, but they did. Oh no, perhaps if I can literally, in some cases, it's like just another half a million and I might be yeah. all right. Like for God's sake. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Don't make yourself miserable for an yeah. extra five grand. It's just not worth it. Let alone half a million quid, but that's sometimes the world yeah. I, I live in. Listen to your heart, your well-being, your emotional and so psychological well-being is infinitely more important than the numbers on your uh, bank balance, right? So you can make the money work, mm. but suffering in work that you're not happy or, or the amount of work you're doing that you're not fully engaged with is, is totally not worth it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. And I often, I know from my those past experience of mine, um, and also, obviously, no doubt with some of those clients, is that the, the, there are other things that are probably driving that in terms of the stories that we tell ourselves. Than yes. this, you know, um, and and maybe the work is not so much on the financial at all. It's actually on those stories. And actually, what is it? You know, am I hook? Am I really hooked into this job for other reasons? This role, this status, or whatever? Is it? You know, am I really wanting to change, mm. or is this? Or am I wanting both? I'm wanting to not let go of the status, but not really acknowledging it versus, you know, really wanting to follow my heart. And those are kind of challenges that I guess I work through with with clients and had to do myself. Mm. Um, and that's the interesting stuff, actually, because once you get an awakening or realization there, it brings it into full light, doesn't it? To think, ah, it and, then, and then you can move on with that. Don't forget, if you're finding that your health has taken a backseat whilst you work to achieve greatness in other areas of your life, the Reshape Academy, my coaching and programs are here to help you continue to achieve that success with and not at the expense of your health. Find out more at midlifereshape.com. That's brilliant. So a couple of questions, well, two questions. One of them, it, it, it obviously betrays my complete lack of knowledge around this, but you mentioned, you know, somebody retiring at such and such a point. Pension funds are down twenty five percent, or you know their pension might be affected by twenty five or fifteen. I, I can't remember what Namisa, but they're, they're down. They're going to have less in at that point. Is that like that's it from when they retire, or does the as the you know markets recover? Their- markets will recover, and unless they're planning to spend their entire pension fund in their first year of retirement, then right. actually that money is going to be invested probably for another thirty or forty years, and that's perspective. Right. So the way I build retirement plans for people is we identify what money they're going to spend when. So ideally, the sort of one of the golden rules of finance is you don't invest money you need to spend in the very short term. So what we try to do is, is work with people as they approach their sort of magic retirement date, if it's a hard stop or, you know, where they get to the point where they finally stop, is that they have a couple of years worth of their costs in the bank, in cash. Now, that's being ravaged by inflation at the minute, right? So we probably need to hold a bit more than what we expect our two years' expenses to be. But it's better that than having that money significantly reduced by market movements, right? So holding money in cash, even though it's at the mercy of inflation, the buying power of that cash is being reduced by inflation right now, it's better than it actually falling in value because the markets are tanking when you need the money. Right. So we tend to say, right, the first couple of years of costs should be held in cash. The reason why it's a couple of years is because for any sort of blended portfolio that's got a bit of all sorts in it, shares, bonds, property, all that sort of stuff, even the worst markets, they usually um, recover fully within two years. Right. Right. Usually, it's about 96% of cases for a balanced portfolio. Um, So 
you know, if you've got two years in cash, you shouldn't have to touch distressed assets, right? Now, when you get to the end of your two years and you've spent all your cash, right, if markets are still down, well, you're going to have to drip a bit of money out so that as much money is left in to recover as possible. The markets always recover, right? The declines are temporary. The advance is permanent. I do not believe we're in some kind of epochal change that the world will be massively different going forward. I think it's just a classic economic tremor, which has happened, you know, every few years for the last 500, right? right? I don't think it's any different. I might be wrong. I mean, if, if Putin starts lobbing nukes around, that's a different conversation, right? Which is part of people's fear. Um, I don't think we'll get to that. I don't think even he's that stupid. Um, but, you know, we, we don't know. I think that will be a cataclysmic event. But I still think we'll recover. Mm. Um, it will just take longer in that case. So, you know, if your pension fund's down to get it back to practicalities and away from scaremongering, um, then probably you're not going to touch most of it for quite a while. Right. If you were planning to take a bunch of tax-free cash out of your pension to pay a mortgage off, maybe you might need to defer that decision for a while. Right. You might need to keep paying your mortgage for a bit because you don't let your pension fund recover. So these are the practical sort of individual right. decisions that right. people need to make. Right. Seek advice if you're not sure. But most people, in my experience, when they get to retirement, they're not dependent on a big lump of cash yeah. to pay a lot of stuff off. Right. They've usually paid their mortgage off by the time they retire, but everybody's different. So, you know, again, remember that retirement actually isn't a sort of one and done decision. It's just the start of a whole new phase of life where your money's going to remain invested for most of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I obviously, it just shows my lack of knowledge of the whole um, the whole area. If somebody was, I, I guess, you know, somebody was thinking, you know, I'm reduced my hours or even thinking of looking into early retirement at a time like this. Um, that might be an option for them in, in terms of their work. Again, any thoughts on that or sort of? Yeah. <sighs> Start with income, right? So most of us, when we're approaching retirement, we have certain levels of income that we're going to be able to rely on. So maybe it's the state pension, which will be 67, 68. You know, if you're, if you're imminently retiring, it might still be 65, 66. So that's a, you know, guaranteed income from the state forever. Uh, those who are, our age, they may be a little bit older, may have what are called defined benefit pension schemes or final salary, sometimes called, which are guaranteed incomes, you know, maybe from age 60, maybe from 65. So you need to start with your income sources. You know, maybe you've got a rental property and there's, you know, 500 quid a month of rent coming in. That, that's your sort of baseline income. Uh, does that meet or exceed your sort of basic expenses? If not, you're going to need capital to draw from, right? So if your incomes from your various sources are a thousand quid a month, but your costs are 1500, you're going to need to draw off capital to the tune of 500 quid a month. So where is where are you going to take that from? Is it from ISIS? Is it from cash in the bank? Have you got premium bonds? Is it from pension funds? That's basically what I do for a living. So you're looking for tax efficiency there. You're looking for not drawing off distressed assets, you know, shares and stuff, which are down mm-hmm. uh, if you can help it. I think it's just worth mentioning the reason why it's an unusual circumstance at the moment is because most people, if they're invested, they own a bit of all sorts. So they'll own some shares, even not necessarily direct shares in companies, but they'll be in a a fund inside their pension, right? And they'll have probably some shares. They'll have some bonds, 
which are just another kind of investment, basically IOUs to governments and to companies. Um, they might have a bit of uh, commodities, that stuff that humans consume, like oil, gas, wheat, metals. They might even have a bit of property fund in their pension, say. The reason why you do that is because you spread it around, it reduces the risk because each of those sort of major asset classes usually behaves slightly different, particularly equities and bonds, which are the primary that make up most people's pension funds and stuff. Usually <laughs> when equities are tanking, bonds will hold up a bit. What's unusual at the minute is that they've both been battered recently because Bonds are usually the safer assets, but what a bond is, it's we call them the, the sort of technical word phrase that people like me tend to use it. They're called fixed interest instruments. So if interest is fixed, it's an IOU, right? So the government owes you money essentially. And they say, right, we're going to pay you five quid a month for as long as that IOU is in existence, that piece of paper. Well, if it's fixed interest and inflation is high, that fixed interest is going to become worth less, isn't it? into the future, particularly if it's an IOU that lasts 20 years. Well, I mean, you know, at current inflation rates, that income is going to be next to worthless by the end of the bond, right? And because that bond is going to see its income stream in real terms become worth less in the future, the, the capital price of those bonds falls. Fewer people buy them, more people sell them, the price falls. At the same time, when you've got high inflation and you've got central banks using pretty blunt instruments like interest rates to try and fix that, you've got the threat of recession, companies start to suffer. And so shares start to suffer. Investors bail out, they sell out. And so you've got both shares and bonds falling. So US treasuries, which are deemed you know, rock solid assets, really, that's loans to the US government. They're down about 15% year to date. I mean, that's not unheard of, but rare, right? Usually they're a safe asset. That's why people's pension funds are looking a bit sick now. But six months from now, we'll know a little bit more about how it's starting to pan out, how inflation is, is settling down, what the central banks have had to do. British economy grew much more than they thought last month. Economists were surprised. We'd no idea what's going to happen. So even though I, there's reasons why things are a bit sick, and it's unusual, I've seen that maybe once or twice in my 25-year career, the sort of correlation of assets. But it ain't unprecedented. You've just got to stick with it because in the vast majority of cases, it will recover. It always has done in the past. Otherwise, we'd, you know, we'd still be trading carrots and chickens with our neighbors. We've still got a functioning economic system mm. despite some pretty major cataclysms like a global pandemic. So it ain't as bad, I don't think, as the, the headlines would say. So you've just got to stick with it. That was a bit rambling, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? There is so much to it. And, and again, it's it's it, it, it's coming back to, let's not get carried away with the headlines. Let's mm -hmm. It gives us a little bit of a check-in and let's do the, the basics. <clears throat> and if we need some particular advice, speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about rather than... That's you know, definitely true. Like, you yeah. know, I have no clue about that. So, but yeah, yeah. Particularly at retirement. I, th I think yeah. I spend my life preaching that people don't need to see an advisor like me, which is counterintuitive. Yeah. But but the one point at which professional advice can pay for itself many times over is at retirement, because there's lots of moving parts. But 
you cannot control inflation. You can't control central bank response. You can't control what you know Elon Musk decides to do with Twitter. You can't control what Putin's you know bizarre brain is doing. All those things are completely external to us. What we can do is look at our bank account and say, right, what can I shave off here? Or let me ask my boss if I can pick up an extra shift. Mm-hmm. Or you know, do something on the weekend or something, and do what we can control and forget the rest of it because it'll happen with or without you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with that then, a couple of other things that pop into mind here is um, savings. You know, if you, based on, say, our last the, the last conversations we've had, we, we I've looked at my finances and I'm managing to find that bit every month now rather mm-hmm. than splashing out on or yeah. getting the new car, hold on the car. I'm managing to find it now. But things are getting squeezed now, I'm finding. So I'm tempted not to save mm-hmm. versus to keep keep the you know the the the, the bank balance if you like yeah. right or, or the ins and outs any thoughts around that yes. idea yeah. yeah great question um you know give yourself a break right it would be easy for me as a financial advisor to come and say no no you know you must continue saving um but maybe you just need a break whatever you do don't leave your company pension Reason being is because your employer, if you're employed and you've got a company pension, they are paying in for you, right? So it's free money, right? It doesn't make any sense to dial back pension contributions if your employer is doubling them, right? You need to find something else to do. But that aside, if you are putting 100 quid a month into your ISA and that's a bit pinchy right now, dial it back to 50 for a bit or dial it back to zero for a bit, but set a reminder in your calendar. Yeah. The, the easy thing is to get four years down the line and think, you know, I really ought to look at that again. And mm-hmm. then it's three years after that that you finally do something about it. So do it for three months and set a reminder mm-hmm. and say, actually, could I now start to dial up? Even if it's not at the previous level, if you were at 100 quid a month and you go down to zero, maybe after three months, you dial it up to 40 quid a month. Set a reminder three months hence. This is about being intentional with finance, yeah. right? God, I see it all the time. People who started paying 50 quid a month into their pension 20 years ago and are still putting 50 quid a month into the pension. Well, 50 quid a month was a lot of money 20 years ago. Now they spend three times that on a night out. So, you know, it, it's completely disproportionate. And the only reason it's still like that is because they haven't thought about it since. Yeah. But Nobody achieves anything by default. You've, yeah. you've got to work at it, right? So we've got to be intentional with it. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the key way to do it. That is such a, a, a an important point, and I think really, 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 really important. You know, yes, you may dial things back or down, or to you know, next few months I'll not save because, but life happens, doesn't it? it does and, I, and again, I'm finding sort of. Like, analogies or, or comparisons in other areas you know uh, i was talking to a group the other day uh, about you know we were talking about the, the things you do on when things are going well you know in terms of your health and those things um and how life proof are those things for when the tough times happen yeah because you can then get very hard on yourself when they all fall away um i don't go i, I don't get out for me run every every other day now because and we start beating ourselves up um but life's just turned itself on its head there you know they're, they're suddenly working all hours because we've got a major situation on at yeah. work um and yet they're still feeling guilty about not going for the run so how can we life proof it to say well okay you may not then you may not you may be managing 20 miles a week uh in the running as an example mm-hmm. um on the good times but 
what's your minimum effective dose during the mm-hmm. tough times, if that's the case? Just to even put a pin in the habit. I often talk about that with habits that, you know, if you're trying to form new habits, um, we can often expect, we can often put too much in them. Like I'm going to do half an hour meditation every day or I'm going to go for a walk or a run and we make them too big mm. to, to even start. So we start small, but there are days when you can't even get that. So I, I often say put a pin in it, just go and stand at the door. Look at the yeah. sky. Be be present for a minute if it's mindfulness you're doing. Yeah. Step outside for a moment. You've put a pin in the habit yeah. so that it's still the habit is there's still space somewhere for the habit. So that on the other days you can come back to it. Yes. And it's yes. it strikes me similar there with the financial aspect is that you know you've got you might dial it down to whatever you need to get to survive. But how do you put the pin in it to make sure you come back? So those reminders are really important, aren't they? And yeah. And yeah. yeah, that's a yeah, I like that. I might nick that. If it's yes it's um the sort of minimal minimal sort of effective dose all that so it's just pragmatic right it's just yeah. real life um <laughs> in saving and investing is spending money for the future it's putting money away so you can spend it in the future that's a better way of putting it but it doesn't make any sense to really suffer now i don't think for that you know if it's the difference between you being able to send your kid on a school trip for God's sake, send the kid on a school trip and just dial back your savings, right? That's real life. Any any sane, rational person would do that. Um, so I know I would, right? I live a lot for today uh, while still saving for tomorrow. But if I had to choose, I would live for today. But most of us don't have to choose in ordinary times. It's about just shifting the balance a bit. It's not binary. Right. So I think, yeah, no, that's, that's smart. Yeah. It's just real life. Let's just be kind to ourselves a bit, um, but not be soft on ourselves too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the difference between kindness and being soft, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, that's always a bit of a balance, but the way to do it is, as you've said, is approach it with, right, let's get down and um, look at the figures. Let's not buy into the headlines and let's just look right okay it's going to be a tough few months what pra- practically what's the minimum effective dose i'll put a pin in yeah. you know I'll put it in a pin in a version of that to then get back and how do i make sure that i check in every so often and yeah. review i think that yeah i think that's a really important approach i guess the other side the, the other side of this the question i had was what about debt if i'm if I, as a result say of our last conversations i'm actually doing okay you know i've managed to put that thousand pound away um into the bank as me cushion i'm starting to make headway yeah. with my debt but here we are <laughs> yeah yeah that's when it can be really depressing uh, and hard it's easy if you've got a bit of disposal income if you don't have people breathing down your neck to pay them back um if uh, the first thing to say is that if debt is becoming a problem, we need to speak to your creditors. So can speak to the people that you owe money to, because there is an awful lot of protection for you as a borrower and uh, lenders have to be supportive, right? And they have to uh, really bend over backwards to help you. So you may be able to uh, take like a three month break from your mortgage, say um, you may be able to, uh, potentially consolidate debt onto a lower interest rate. Always something worth considering. Don't pay too much to do that. You know, sometimes you know, you can get it on a low rate, but I pay four percent for the for the privilege of shifting it. So, you know, again, look at what you can do. But if it's really becoming a problem, then you can always speak to your lenders. But you could, in the same way as you could sort of dial back your savings if that's becoming a problem, you could briefly 
shift back to minimum payments. You know, you what you said is that I'm starting to make some headway with it. Well, maybe just give yourself a break for three months and go back to minimum payments, right? It obviously will set your program back a bit, but that, that's all right. Uh, so, debt reduction should is is always a priority, but not at the cost of eating, mm. right? So, you've got to look at your own situation and just try to say, right, okay, you know can I pick up that extra shift so I can keep the program of paying down the debt aggressively or do I just need to take a breather? And if you do, then take a breather. But if it's a problem, first thing you need to do is to talk to your creditor and put a marker. So look, I talked to you on such and such a day. I told you I was struggling. What can you do to help me? And they have, they have responsibility under law to help you as much as they can. Yeah. All right. And if it's really, yeah. really bad, there are charities and sort of counseling and stuff that can, that can help you. Yeah. Um, so there's some, some great outfits there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, again, it's 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 a great way to approach it because um, that can have a lot. Well, we talked about the psychological weight of these things, and sometimes I, I think this is the same. Again, it goes back to the goals. You know, if you if you're doing well in say losing weight or something like that, and then you hit the roadblocks or you hit a period of life where it just gets tough, we can start to then get very hard on ourselves or very to feel very defeated. So, but if we can just think right, well, what practically and pragmatically can I do? Mm-hmm. in this firstly give myself a break be you know be more patient and compassionate with myself and then let's look so as you say there's a range of options there to help us through that period to when we're on more solid ground i guess to then build back up so i love yeah. that yeah wow <laughs> there's loads there isn't there? there's a lot of ground yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the thing about finances right is that it's by definition a long-term game and mm. tough times are usually short-term particularly with stuff we can't control, right? And market declines feel pretty grim in the moment, right? I mean, I remember the great financial crisis, 2007, 2008. Uh, in March, 2009, there were headlines to say, I mean, markets were already down 40% at that point, some of them 50%. So we're talking half of people's money gone potentially. And there were still headlines at the time saying, it's going to go down another 50% yeah so 50% of the remaining 50 so 75% overall i mean that's tough now as it turns out it was the bottom but you only know that in hindsight yeah. so those who invested around then cleaned up over the next 10 years right but that that was tough but that was the worst i don't think we're anywhere near as bad as it was then uh, you know might get worse yeah i don't know but i don't think that we're in as bad a shape as we were then but it didn't last Mm. And and this too shall pass. Uh, and if we are investing money, if we're saving, and if we're going to be retired for 30, 40 years, hopefully, you know, God willing, we have our health and all that sort of stuff, then we need not to pay too much mind to the short term and certainly don't let our decisions be driven by them. Mm. We've got to think longer term, inevitably. What can we do now in light of a long-term, a long-term approach? And what should we not do now? Yeah. knee-jerk reactions with our investments, which might have a very long-term implication. That's the yeah. biggest issue. People bailing out of their portfolios because they're scared. I get it, but that's when the damage is done. Yeah. Right? Remember, if, you, if you're looking at your pension fund and it's down, you haven't lost a penny until you sell it, until you sell your shares and move into cash inside your pension. It's only theoretical. Right? Yeah. It, it's, it's obvious that, but it isn't to a lot of people. If you bought your house for 250 grand three years ago, and you've done a bit of work to it and you ask you're sort of idly interested as to what your house might be worth 
And so, you know, you spent 250 grand on it three years ago. You ask an estate agent to come around and value it. And they say, well, I'm really sorry, but there's a crack den in the next street over. And there's a real problem with crime. So actually your property is only worth 225 now. Have you lost anything? Well, not yet, not until you sell it. And so if you don't need to sell, if you don't need to adjust your investments in your pension fund, then don't. This is a terrible time to be making changes in your investments. So just forget about it and let it run. And it will recover. Always does. I think that's a good a good way to sort of probably wrap up the conversation in that that that's really positive. Mm. Though it feels at times that we're in a tough time. Yes. And I, and I suppose, really, I can totally relate to this because I know that I set my business up in 2006, left yeah. the place in 2007. Yeah. What a, I mean, I had no idea how to run a business anyway, let's be honest. But I, I happened to step into a market that was then flooded by people, lots of people being mm-hmm. made redundant and becoming trainers, consultants, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and because of I was clueless, all of those things, I made some short term decisions. I cashed in a few sort of short, you know, the, these 10 year kind of plans that, mm-hmm. that were rolling, um, cashed in a few of those just to survive, you know, those kinds of things that at the time were driven by panic and emotion mm-hmm. and just not knowing what to do. I can't go back to, I can't do, you know, that kind of thing. And yet inevitably I had to sit down and and come to the pragmatic pragmatic decisions. Yeah. But the point is I got through it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Still here, it. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, that The overarching message I think Dave needs to be that it, it won't always be as bad as this. It feels bad. It is pretty unpleasant right now, but it won't always be like this. And so don't hamstring the future by making yeah. knee, knee-jerk reactions now. Take your time. Be intentional. Think stick stuff through. Concentrate on the levers you can pull and not the stuff you can't control. Yeah. There is zero point in wasting any mental energy worrying about what Putin might do or what central banks might do or what inflation is going to be in a year time. Just look at your bank statement and say, what can I change here yeah. that will make things a bit more comfortable for me right now and my yeah. family? And that's where to focus your energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's a really good parting message, to be fair, because you're right. We've still got our future hopes and dreams. We might dial back, change change time scales. Mm-hmm. We, there are still things we can work on, but maybe in a smaller way um, at now. We can still do these things, but focus on what you can do rather than things you can't do or can't, can't control. I love that. Well, thank you. For, no <laughs> worries. Thank you for your time. It's been a, a great conversation. And um, loads, I've got loads out of it, but I'm sure the listeners will as well. Um, any parting thoughts before uh, I let you no, go? No, just, um, yeah, no, ju- just that. Don't panic. It'll be all right eventually. Look after yourselves and be kind to yourselves in difficult circumstances. Right. Brilliant. Pragmatic. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, just like it says on the Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy, don't panic. I love that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you for for your time again, Pete. It's been brilliant. And uh, as always, links will be in show notes. Um, and any feedback questions, not just for me, but possibly for Pete as yeah, well. Absolutely. I'm sure, then uh, drop me a line, Pete. <laughs> May as well be Pete at Restless. <laughs> <laughs> I'll set me up an email, email address if you want. <laughs> yeah, Dave at RestlessMidlife.com. Um, and uh, well, I'll certainly feed those back. But thanks for your time, yeah, Pete. Absolutely. It's been magic. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me once again. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. 
It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure. 